You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. So welcome to the business of cannabis. We'll be bringing you interviews on a weekly basis with the most influential and knowledgeable people in the retail cannabis industry. We're talking tech leaders, service providers, dispensary owners, uh, lawyers, consultants, growers. Uh, If you're connected in any way to the retailing of cannabis, if you're thinking about getting into the industry, then the business of cannabis is the show for you. We are here with uh, Michael Mays from uh, Quantum Nine, and Quantum Nine they help uh, busy entrepreneurs and investors become uh, cannabis business owners. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, give us an overview of uh, Quantum Nine and uh, specifically your cannabis practice, and um, you know what do you do to help entrepreneurs? Sure. So the primary function of our business is to get licenses in merit-based states or countries uh, where organizations compete uh, based on merit, uh, a total score on the acquisition of a license. So we help with the total application preparation, strategy, project management, and then the, the, the totality of the submission, which is inclusive of recruitment. Uh, recently, uh, we've also transitioned into a little bit of the mergers and acquisition space. So once the, the, the licenses won, we've started to work a little bit on uh, the, the, the finder of financiers or, uh, or large MSOs looking to buy the organization outright. Great. Thanks for that. Um, so in terms of um, take us through like the issues facing like a dispensary. Um, during kind of setup and launch phase? Sure. So initially, it's all about winning the license. You know, so depending on where you're launching the business, there could be different criteria to actually acquire that license. Uh, some states require a separate state license and then a municipal license, uh, such as Michigan or California, or there could just be a limited number of dispensary licenses in the state, such as Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, just to name a couple. So, so that would be like a lottery, just yeah. like a lottery thing? Well, uh, so there's different states have different structures and even different municipalities inside different states have different structures. 
us structure is a, a lottery where you know applicants just fill out basic information and they're put into a lottery or there's some type of merit to get into the lottery or the lottery is completely separate of it, meaning that uh, you submit, let's say, an inventory management plan, and then that section is graded against all other applicants. And then the total of all of your scores and all of your different sections are added up, and the winners of those get licensed. So, hmm. for instance, in Pennsylvania, there was only 12 grower processor licenses available in the first and second round, of which Quantum 9 took first place in both rounds. Nice. <laughs> uh, Amazing. And then, yeah. And then in Delaware, there was only three licenses available and that allows you to grow process and, and dispense with two dispensaries or more. So uh, in that state, it's all based on merit, no lotteries. And, and we took second there. Now, how does real estate, what I know that like it, it, you're already alluding to how complicated and convoluted this is. How does real estate play into that? Do you need a location? Do you need a lease? Do you need some sort of security? How does that work? Sure, that's a great question. And that is one of the hurdles too. So depending on the state or municipality, they could have different rules. Illinois has been one of the first states that has said uh, for their adult use uh, recreational licenses that they don't necessarily need the applicant to apply with real estate. In other states and municipalities, they want the facility under control, meaning that it could be an active lease, uh, a contingent option to lease or a contingent option to buy, but either way, some type of financial and, and regulatory legal document that can be submitted to the state to show that you have control. And even most recently in Ohio, they're even allowing multiple potential tenants to submit with the same real estate. So every state will have their quirks, but Real estate is another uh, big hurdle to overcome because not only do you have these, the complexity with submitting that real estate, but you also have to ensure that it is in a zone that is approved by the state or municipality, meaning that it's got to be have certain setback distances from schools, playgrounds, public works, uh, and even in in municipality in states where it's municipality driven, the municipality could even designate certain zones within the, the area that are for dispensaries. So that's a, that's a challenge across the board. Hmm. And you might have like, like the last point, like you might have financial obligations attached to that before you're even anywhere near opening, I'm assuming. Yeah, and that's where things get really sticky because you know we always advise our clients to keep overhead during the interim time between the when you submit to when you win at an all-time low. And this is where you know a lot of the Canadian companies got into big issues because you know they acquired a piece of real estate that they're paying monthly rent on. Health Canada took forever to license these facilities, and they just simply ran out of resources before they even got up to bat. Um, so that's one of the issues. The other issue is, you know, they want the facility to have a compliant floor plan that aligns with the regulatory approval. For instance, uh, you, know, you have to have a waiting area, um, you know, your security parameters, and then all of these items are then submitted to the state. And again, they're graded against each other, you know, the more secure the facility, like municipalities, you know, kind of 
have preference towards standalone buildings with a carport where a car can actually pull into and a secure delivery can be done. So there's just different features that uh, could make a facility more compliant or more secure than another. So that, I mean, that, that actually leads to kind of a, a multi-point uh, question, which is what are, you know, you, you've answered some of the, you know, what are the, the challenges, but what are the mistakes that, you know, owners, dispensary owners tend to make and what are the things that they should be looking to avoid? That's a great question. And I think that the tax and corporate structure of the business is also a big hurdle and something that should be considered at the onsite of the business. So in most traditional LLCs, uh, the way it's taxed is that the owners are responsible for that tax. Meaning that if, uh, if you profit a million bucks and there's two owners, they have to split that tax uh, liability evenly uh, and then pay on that. Whereas with a traditional uh, corporation, the business pays that tax, tax. Why that's important is because there's a tax code in the US called tax code 280E that actually prevents dispensaries from writing off cost of goods sold. Now they could write off, you know, different aspects like, you know, mm. product, but they can't write off, you know, marketing, any staffing numbers, any of this, because at the dispensary level, the IRS considers cannabis as a schedule one narcotics still. So tax code 280E prevents you from writing off cost of goods sold against right. yeah. federally illegal products. So why is this important with the corporate structure and taxing? Well, without write-offs, your profits are at an all-time high. And when profits are at an all-time high, and if it's tax, <laughs> right. when yeah. the owners have to pay, right. then, yeah. then you create this horrible uh, cycle of tax liability. So, and right. I've experienced this personally, so I can talk to this <laughs> where we made a bunch of money and then we're like, great. And it was in Q4 too. And at the time, you know, we were trying to convert to a C-Corp or an S-Corp and, you know, tax liabilities less on, you know, the, the members. Unfortunately, it was too early in the process. The IRS didn't want to allow this because we're a cannabis business. So we got hit with this, us personally, the members got hit with this huge tax liability of which none of us can pay. So what, what has to happen? You either have to borrow from somebody else or the business has to bonus you out this giant payment. And then that again, becomes a liability on next year's taxes. So you then kick this can down the road over and over again until, you know, a buyout of some sort or you catch up. Or you make even more money. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of people get into this business without really thinking things through. They get into yep. it for a variety of reasons, mostly because they enjoy it. They're part of it. It's maybe part of their culture or, or experience and they think it'll be cool, all those reasons, or they're gonna make a lot of money to something authentic like that. And, and then they don't take into any of these factors. It's so interesting listening to you. I bet they don't think of any of this stuff. Yeah. I, the business plan, I mean, have you experienced that? They come to you with a business plan and you're like, you've missed about 25 questions. <laughs> yeah, well, if, uh, if our clients had all the knowledge, they wouldn't meet us, right? So- I guess there's yeah. something to that. There, there is uh, an inherent value in their, uh, their misunderstanding of the industry, which is okay. And a lot of this we clear up from the beginning. And one of the biggest hurdles right off the bat is what some of the financial requirements are. So 
to even acquire a dispensary license in let's say a heavily uh, limited state of those dispensary licenses. Let's say that there's only five licenses in the entire state. Mm. Companies can spend anywhere from 650 to a million dollars on just getting the license alone. And that is all of their costs, lobbying, legal, you know, any of the facility design stuff, all of mm-hmm. it, as well as our consulting fees. So that's just to get the license. Now, when there's smaller markets or markets that have an unlimited amount of dispensaries, those numbers are drastically lower. But uh, fast forward to the other side of the, the application win. You know, to get up and operational, you know, you should budget anywhere from, you know, three hundred to six hundred thousand dollars worth of build out and tech, depending on how ordinate the dispensary is and you know whether you're renovating or building from scratch. So those are just roundabout numbers. And then it could take anywhere from a million to a million and a half bucks to actually operate that. And that's in USD. Uh, and then depending on the throughput, you know, if you have huge numbers, then those operating costs uh, could just increase depending on how much money you actually make. That's fascinating. Um, thanks for that insight. Um, so where do you see the industry going over the next, you know, one to two years, let's say? One to two years uh, in the United States, we'll see more and more states crawl before they walk, meaning that you know, usually it starts with some type mm-hmm. of decriminalization, then some type of medical program, and then yep. it migrates into a recreational program. So if you look at the landscape, there's quite a lot of meat on the bone from those that are still uh, still have some type of legislation to go. And then those that are currently medical, which will have some type of adult use in the eminent future. Uh, as far as federal legalization in the United States, I think we're pretty far away from that, uh, mainly because, you know, FDA would have to get involved if they consider this a drug or if it's a nutraceutical. Either way, there has to be processes that put it, are put in place, and that could be quite timely. You know, what about, um, let's talk about the elephant in the room, New York. How do you see that? I mean, mm-hmm. I hear so many people say, "Ugh, okay, California went the way it did. Not mm-hmm. that it's not a market and it won't change, but okay, it wasn't quite what they expected in terms of sales and in terms of, what about New York? Uh, again, a great market. Uh, it's still unclear as to the final rules and regulations on how uh, everything will pan out, but it could take one of two tracks. The first track is that the state is less of a, of a focus and the municipalities are more of the focus, meaning like California or Michigan, where the state just grants the a state license once a municipal license is won. So then the liability is no longer on the state, you know, down to the municipality. They have their own merit-based licensing rounds or lotteries. And then the winners are then approved based on, you know, a geographic area. Or the state can go with more of a state-based model where they say X amount of dispensaries are uh, spread out across the state and in different uh, zones of the state, there's going to be more licenses. Uh, we saw this model more in the Illinois market where they had two waves of licenses, six, uh, 75 in the first wave and 110 in the second wave. Mm-hmm. And they were broken up into what they call districts uh, of which the majority of the licenses were near the Chicagoland area. So that that could be one of the two models that they select, but it's still, uh, they're still in the rulemaking process. 
And, and if you had to guess? <laughs> I've heard both. I've heard both okay. sides. Uh, for us, as a consulting firm, we would want it more right. uh, state-based. Difficult, because, yeah. Yeah, the more right. difficult it is, <laughs> uh, the, the more business that we make. But, uh, but also, you know, it could go either way because in a state like Michigan, there's these different hubs that have their own merit-based uh, licensing rounds, meaning that instead of just one big one, we could have four small ones like New York City, you know, button, you know, and, and different of the, the larger cities in New York, which could have their own licensing. So mm. that could be an advantage. It could be not, but uh, usually uh, either way, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do fine. But, but what's most interesting is how does the state make the most tax revenue off of this, which is one of the biggest things that they're considering. So is it a better approach to have you know, a lot of these locations spread out, or is it, you know, maybe a few hubs, see how the supply demand matrix goes, and then add new licenses. So it's still be determined either way, which uh, is the best approach. Well, it's definitely an ever-changing and uh, uh, interesting uh, space because of all of these things. So, um, Michael, I, from Quantum Non, I, I would like to thank you for taking the time today, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on. Um, at a later date. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Well, welcome back. We're very excited to have Clint Sukarand with us. Um, Clint is one of the most uh, known as one of the most innovative dispensary operators in Canada, with a very unique brand and a unique experience at his uh, at his dispensaries. Uh, I mean, uh, who else put bloopers on his website from a commercial they're doing with his staff? So you have to check that out. Um, founded in 2019, Clint owns um, the Gunchika House chain of dispensaries with two successful locations in Brampton and a third to be opening shortly in Barrie, Ontario. Clint, welcome to the Business of Cannabis. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Hi, Clint. This is Matt. Uh, glad to have you. Um, you know, what, I, what we'd love to hear is give us an overview of the Gajika story and how you got into the cannabis industry. All right. Well, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, well, prior to the cannabis industry, I was uh, really engaged in uh, food manufacturing, uh, import, export, distribution uh, across the U.S., Canada and the Caribbean. Um, when how I got involved in cannabis is that I was always interested in cannabis as a as a real uh, you know sort of medical vector uh, for helping so many people and I, I thought uh, sort of blending cannabis with food would have been a, a fantastic um, you know method to to really get cannabis into into the hands of the people who really uh, you know wanted to to do it in in a, in a legal mm -hmm. way. Without uh, sort of uh, smoking, so uh, I put my name in the hat for that uh, for the Ontario Lottery. 
uh, in January of 2019. And I was selected. I was one of the 25 uh, entrants who were selected to, to apply for cannabis licenses and uh, open, open retail stores thereafter. Um, and Ganjika House was basically formed from, um, you know, sort of some self-reflection. I sort of discovered who I was and what my connection is with this cannabis plant. And Ganjika mm. was born from basically my heritage. Um, I am originally, uh, well, I'm of uh, Southeastern descent. I was uh, born in Trinidad and Tobago. And um, my ancestors from, from India uh, were all Sanskrit scholars, well, not all of them, they, they were Sanskrit scholars who came to Trinidad uh, to sort of help uh, bring culture from India to Trinidad as well. So Ganjika is actually paying homage to both my connection to the plant and uh, my Sanskrit roots. Um, Ganjika is the hmm. root of Ganja. Ganja is what we call cannabis in, in the Caribbean. So right. Ganjika and you could demonstrate that connection of myself and to the plant as well as to my culture. And house, why did I choose the word house? Is because ganja was always something that was community. You know, we all smoked a joint or a spliff with our friends. We had fun. We had great conversations. You know, that, that was what it, it, cannabis to me was about. Like, you know, that connection to the plant as well as uh, doing it in a real community-oriented way. You know, not in this sterile dispensary medical sort of all white yeah. uh, sort of environment that's very cold. I focused on really what my connection was and how, how much I, I, I enjoyed this sort of culture of cannabis. And at the end of the day, I discovered in, maybe in my past life, I was an indica. <laughs> so it, it was a very significant <laughs> Yeah, so um, you, you tell us, uh, you know, first, you've opened for a couple of years now. One, what, what's maybe the most surprising thing you've learned since opening uh, from a business perspective? Uh, from a business perspective, um, it's, it's really the, I wouldn't say like, you know, the, from a business perspective, the, the, the most surprising thing would be the breadth of the customer, you know, really trying to, 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 to understand, you know, who is the cannabis consumer. It, it's just such a broad spectrum of users, um, you know, being the demographic, you know, ranges from with, with age, with health, with, uh, you know, income, with, with uh, interest, with activities. So the, 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 the thing is, is really tying down what, who the cannabis consumer is, has been such a difficult task. Because, you know, we all sort of had an image of, you know, <laughs> the, the stigma, the stigmatized image. Of course, it's going to be the stoner and the... the yeah, a lot of the kid. users have been hiding in the shadows for a long time, right? Yeah, well, the thing is, look, um, we, we all look... We all had a sort of an image of who this was, who was this consumer, but that that has been broken. I see all, you know, my store in Brampton, the, the one that opened uh, on Main Street uh, with the lottery, we, in, in 2019, we're seeing upwards of a thousand to two thousand people every day, even on a Sunday, every single day. And the spectrum of people that come in, like from 19 years old, as I said, in, in many of my other interviews, mm -hmm. to Eight years old. We had a lady come in who was 98 years old. We get lawyers, judges, doctors, um, every profession you can think about. Um, you know, and and it's just it's so surprising to see how this plant plays a role in so many people's lives of so many different backgrounds. So that is what has been really surprising to me. It's like trying to learn the consumer, but discovering, hey, there isn't 
any like one bucket that you can put these consumers in because it's everywhere. Have you found that made a challenge in trying to market? Because well, if you don't know who your target is, your target can't be everyone, <laughs> or maybe it is. Like, for example, my 96-year-old grandmother who takes it uh, for her arthritis, uh, I never would have thought until she told me that <laughs> she actually <laughs> was taking it. So, yeah, it must be a real challenge. Maybe you can address that. Yeah, well, well, the challenge is is... All right. So what I looked at is trying to define that consumer, you know, trying to define who is it we're really that 20 percent that supports the 80 percent of the business or maybe that 10 percent that supports a, a larger portion. And what I've discovered is I'm going to be pulling out my hair. <laughs> it is just absolutely too difficult. So I've hired a, a data science team to to really drill down into our data and sort of we could see if we can really discover that. But um, from the other end, I've addressed it in terms of what they're buying. So instead of trying to see what they're looking for, what their buying habits are, or, or mm-hmm. any that's more, uh, you know, more derivative uh, sort of um, drill down uh, data stuff, I'm looking at what they're buying and what they like. Um, so I'm focusing on my inventory, um, really trying to to get the products that uh, you know the, the categories, the sizes, the the flavors um, that that the customer is buying. That we're trying to see where where there's uh, you know uh, significant velocity or or where there's you know more interest than than uh, with newer products, so really focusing on the inventory has been um, you know an important part to, to driving the business. Has has supply been a problem in the past? Is that problem over? Do you find yourself, or is it oversupply in a sense of too much choice? How, how has that worked out? Or I, I no, imagine that's, that's a, an ongoing challenge in the business. Oh, yeah. oh that's a fantastic question because the the ecosystem for cannabis has changed so much over the last two years now in Mm. the beginning we were limited to 25 kilos uh, per order you know we were limited by the amount of you know stuff that we could buy the amount of lps that were available the the type of product we could buy we only had flour and pre-rolls in the beginning now there are no limits Uh, we have every single category you can think about Uh, we have innumerable lps uh, we have, uh, you know, significant choice. Now, having said that, I don't believe that the evolution of the of the industry is really in line with what the uh, the demand is sort of um, forecast to be. Um, right now, we're looking at you know a bunch of LPs producing a bunch of mediocre product. Now, if we want to really dominate the market, I, I told them essentially my mantra has been the plant is a vector for THC. We are selling THC and CBD uh, to the customer. The plant is basically the means to get the the product into their body. As such, you know, we should really focus on uh, developing high THC product, um, product that is uh, in demand, product that will move quickly and really uh, pull the consumer across uh, from the illicit market. Now, without those uh, sort of tools in our toolkit, the, the battle becomes immensely more difficult. Um, it's like, you know, taking a, a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> you have to make sure that you have the, 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 the proper, uh, you know, strains, uh, proper THC levels, proper mm-hmm. variety. Like, for example, the 10 milligram limit on the edibles. I mean, for, for somebody who's never used cannabis before, that, that's fantastic. But when we have people who, who are consuming this, you know, weekly or, or 
more frequently than that, you know, 10 milligrams, I understand the, the intent is, is safety and, and, and all that good stuff. But at, at the same time, you know, it's sort of uh, limiting the customer to 10 milligrams in an edible is, is a little bit atrocious. I think, uh, you know, there's a funny story. One of, uh, one of my customers came in, he was so happy when he got the edibles. He bought about, uh, I guess, about three or four of them. Uh, the next day, he came back with the empty wrappers, and he told me, he said, you know what, I'm going to get diabetes before I get high, buddy. <laughs> because there's really sugar in those products, more sugar than THC itself. Yeah. yeah. But he was consuming it uh, on uh, that quantity. Like, he had to take maybe eight to ten of those to even get a buzz. Crazy. So, you know, really addressing, like, we understand we, we want to be safe. We want to make sure we're keeping out, out of the hands of children and, and you know, minors. At the same time, we have to know what, who is it we're serving? Are we doing something that's really benefiting them or are we driving them really towards looking for other uh, more uh, suitable products, you know, which are on the, on the legal market? Yeah, and I think what the governments are trying to do is, um, to your point, uh, baby steps uh, in uh, so that they're not coming out of the gate and allowing everything to, you know, to happen. Um, to get into any kind of trouble. Um, and so I think, you know, that will open up. But um, so tell us, what are your plans for the future? Like, what does the future look like for, for you? Well, um, we, we are opening more stores. I, I intend to increase the footprint of Ganjika House, uh, really bring my brand of, of kindness and, and try to, to, to really differentiate and destigmatize, uh, you know, cannabis um, using our storefronts. Um, so as of now, you know, I have a plan to open uh, three more stores. So, <clears throat> sorry, total total number of stores of about five stores in Ontario. I am looking for more locations uh, to, to sort of, you know, increase, uh, you know, maybe to 10 to 20. But it has been exceedingly difficult <laughs> with the landlords. Uh, Really thinking I'm, I'm just an independent and not knowing that I'm actually one of the most the better top performing stores in the in the in the country um so it has been sort of a, a difficulty there getting uh you know big landlords like with these plaids like the, the smart centers for example or you know the to, to really partner with a little guy like me it has been very difficult um even though I'm well financed I'm good to do you know they just want to go with these bigger guys and I think that that's really a an encumbrance for me and a real shame being a, you know especially being a minority in this business um it, there we already have you know so many other obstacles to deal with I think uh you know the the, the locations too have been uh you know sort of a, a a disappointment like you know mm -hmm. we show them they need everything they need we have all the money everything there and they just say oh no we can't do it with you mm -hmm. so it, it it really it really uh you know it, it, it's a headache because uh, you know it should be fair it should be fair yeah that's that's very disappointing to hear um because yeah to your point it should be fair um and it really shouldn't matter um you know uh if you're part of you know like a, a, a bigger operation. Um, it should be if you have the money and you have the opportunity that that's what should win at the end of the day. Yeah, I completely agree with your sentiment. And I wish these uh, these landlords would, would agree with me too, because I have yet to get one store, you know, in, in like a nice, uh, what, what would you call it? Like a, one of those big shopping centers sort of thing. Like I a, yeah, like a smart center. Exactly. Know. Yeah, yeah. So, well, maybe you and I can chat after the show. Um, I might have some connections that uh, can can get you in there. But oh. um, 
Oh, there but, you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little side like, business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Clint, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, really appreciate your uh, your input in, uh, and I'm sure you've helped other cannabis store owners out there. And hopefully, we can we can chat with you again soon. Yeah, I really appreciate the the, the opportunity, guys, and uh, I look forward to, to having another one soon. Great, thanks, Clint. Yeah, you take care, Clint. Okay, bye bye. Bye. Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So welcome back um, to the show, The Business of Cannabis. And for our next guest, we're pretty excited. This is Alana Oshitskaya, uh, who works with Indica Online um, as the Director of Sales. So we thought this would be really interesting, a deep dive into some technology that, that cannabis dispensaries need to get their head into if they're going to be successful. Now, Alana has a rather interesting background, as a lot of people do in this space, grew up in England, <laughs> somehow made her way to Los Angeles, but she's lived literally all over the world. Um, and her career is as varied as her background, has worked in film and television, um, but has become involved in the cannabis space. Um, so on the marketing side with Indica, so welcome to the show and- Thank you. Um, excited to have you. Let's, let's launch- Thanks for being here. here. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. We're excited to talk about Indica Online and just, you know, let people know about what we do. It's definitely been a long time coming through the past 10 years of cannabis industry, going from the different type of traditional market and coming out into the compliant market. So thank you for having me here. Oh, our pleasure. So why don't we launch, why don't we start there? Give us like Indica Online is an interesting product because it's quite broad, does a lot of things. Take us, take us through sort of what it does in, in broad strokes, and then we can delve deeper into some of the aspects of it so that people listening will go like, yeah, maybe that's something I need to think about. Absolutely. So we have actually been around for just over 10 years, and we started a long time ago with Californian Market. Um, helping our dispensaries run their inventory and run their finances. So a lot of companies, as you know, started with spreadsheets and just pen and paper recording down their business. Just because back when we started, our industry was a very small compassion union type of an mm -hmm. uh, industry. And as we started to expand into more of a business, definitely platforms like Indica Online have become to be more widely known to come into play. And with us, we offer a POS system that um, in effect works together with dispensaries as well as deliveries. Um, we offer a very unique RFID solution, and that's a very exciting tool that we have just developed for all of the larger dispensaries out there and all of the 
larger deliveries out there as well, just so they can run their audits anytime, the same as any other retailers in the bigger aspects such as Walmart, Target. So we're definitely approaching those bigger sizes. And with our system, it allows you to keep control of all of your actions, all of your transactions. We are fully compliant with metric as well. And that's a lot of times something that will be a number one priority for all of our dispensaries and all of our deliveries, all of the operations all around. So we're very excited to have that. Um, as far as our delivery side, we feature on-demand uh, delivery as well as your regular in-store um, delivery. So that means you guys are able to have drivers in multiple locations out there in Los Angeles, in San Diego, in multiple areas of California, San Francisco, Eureka, wherever you want your drivers to be. That is the great benefit of it. You guys are able to see your drivers everywhere directly from our system without needing any additional third-party integrations. So we try to keep it all in-house and make sure that whoever is running their company can dive into every action that is being operated throughout the day. A uh, couple things you've said there, just to clarify, maybe people, RFID, explain mm -hmm. that and how Absolutely. it integrates with cannabis and then explain metric. <laughs> yes. So essentially metric is a system that was brought into us when compliance came on board for us to go recreational and metric allows all of the dispensaries and deliveries to be able to track the packages down to the manufacturers distributors, of course, are right in the middle of the manufacturers and dispensaries. And um, it allows you to track it all the way down to the grower who grows the product. So that's a really cool asset that we're able to utilize these days. And um, that, of course, leads us into that track and trace system. So everything from the plant that has been cloned off a mother plant inside of the grow house down to all of the trim that comes off it is tracked in the cannabis industry by the BCC, which is of course our Bureau of Cannabis. And um, in order to track all those steps, the BCC does use RFID in the grow rooms. Um, it makes it really easy for them to walk into any huge um, thousands of square foot facilities. Sometimes it's a couple of acres facilities that we have and they will count up the plants through those RFID tags. Um, moving into that manufacturing distribution, they do also use those RFID tags moving through each faucet of our industry. And on our side for the dispensaries and for the deliveries, we also brought that for them too. So now they're also able to use that RFID technology. And what it is, is a radio frequency technology. It's a metal label that is encoded with that radio technology, what that product is. It also has a barcode. So the bartenders are able to scan all the products when they are leaving the facility, but also the managers, the owners, inventory specialists are able to go in any day and run an audit with a scanner to see how many products they physically have on hand versus to how many products they have on the system. That way their audits become so much simpler, so much easier. It saves a lot of labor. It saves a lot of time and it's the most efficient way to be doing any audits um, for any large scale dispensary or delivery.
Is it a big deal to implement that system? It's Just really not. To put it in context. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's very, very simple. I feel like the biggest scary part is always change. So any change that comes in is always going to be somewhat scary and someone is going to require a little bit of adaptation. But this is a very simple switch because we already have to label all of the products in dispensaries as is. And the only difference with this label is it's just a metal encoded label, different printer that not only prints out your barcode, but also encodes your label with that information. And those scanners will be available right there at Held that will be able to just do additional functionalities. So it's a very easy implementation process and um, it works incredibly. No, I, I can, you know, it's almost like it's surprising that it didn't exist before. It is. But you know, because <laughs> yes. it has in other places, but I can see why, you know, you're growing, yeah. you're growing. This could, this, it would be something you would just ignore it. Maybe it's easy to ignore yes. it and throw, yep. throw people at it or time or energy or money. And then you're Absolutely. like, yeah. Because it's and, definitely something that's been around for many, many years, but finally we're able to utilize it in cannabis too now. So the POS system manages, I'm assuming the in-store sales for a company, yep. the delivery app manages your deliveries across your chain Correct. from a central location. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. And you guys can also benefit from having a online website that's also created by our system, which we are also developing an app for right now in Apple store. So that's going to be very exciting. Um, a lot of changes will happen once federal legalization comes through but even until then right now what we have developed is just amazing as far as for any aspect of the dispensary of the delivery having that technology makes your operations so much more efficient is there an ideal kind of size or target like, are you like, well, you know, when you get a hundred locations, you should give me a call or no, you have one location. You should give me a call. Is there a not target? But we help dispensaries as small as three employees and one register and as right. big, yes, as having a hundred dispensaries in multi-state okay. across from Oklahoma, Massachusetts, California, Nevada, all the states, Maine, Michigan, we will service. Wow. Yep, a lot of different states out there. Anybody who has metric will definitely be out there. We've just uh, gotten a client onboarded that's um, in Santa Marianas, uh, Northern Marianas Islands. So that's very exciting because that's the first dispensary they're ever going to have and their commission has just approved them. Um, they saw the way that Indica Online runs and tracks every part of the sale and inventory aspect. They were very impressed with that. And they, of course, went ahead and green-lighted that operation for them to go forward with. So it's a lot of um, aspects that we can really help out for many smaller and larger dispensaries. And take me through that process. Okay, I bet a lot of people get started. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong. They mm -hmm. get started, they grow three or four or five dispensaries, and then they go, 
I now have a pretty big business and I've ignored some of these issues. How, how would one then go, okay, I need to regroup. I need to call in to cut. What do you have to do? What are the steps? How do you implement this? How long does it take? How many people, technology, take us through some of that. Absolutely. So we do have a couple of, you know, dispensaries that have been running for a long period of time and they have not focused, you know, on so inventory per se. And they've decided that this is time they need to switch from their old POS system to ours. When that change happens, it's primarily important for that dispensary to keep in mind that they're going to have to run an audit. Audits are everything in our industry. Um, even if you have everything to the T or you think you have everything to the T, the system glitches happen. And that is something that we always warn all of our customers about. Recently, there was a situation where metric got disconnected from all the POS systems. And I had so many clients call me saying they want to switch from their POS because they're not connecting with metric. So we're not we. And we had to explain to them that this is a technological world and those things do happen. So it requires a lot of patience. With that patience and mm. proper steps, with team being ready for change, as long as you have all of your products ready, you will be able to get your transition done because essentially all it requires is just having your inventory transferred from one system to the other, making sure your customers are transitioned from one system to the other. You also do have to keep in mind that the customers you transfer for most part are all going to be new customers in a new system. There is no way to make those customers not new without them starting to purchase products unless they're coming back to the previous account they used to have. Mm. Yep. So with that instance, a lot of times um, I'll have customers who will get pretty upset that they don't want to be giving out first-time patient discounts to all of the people who've already came to the dispensary before. And at that time, I will definitely let them know that they can separate the customers at least for the part of the customers they know and go with a non-automated discount for the first-time patients. And once they will have their customer base at maybe two, three months ahead, they can turn on automated discounts for those first-time patients. Because our system works in a way we try to reduce as many steps as your bud tender, your cashier is going to take. We try to reduce all of the human error mistakes possible. So every step within the system, they do have to scan everything. All of the discounts are primarily auto applied and preset for the groups of customers and also the products. Um, that way you don't have to worry about any bud tenders giving any discounts out to somebody who right. Yes, exactly. Or, 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 or a really steep discount. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. So every person who's been trying to take advantage of that before won't be able to do that, unfortunately. But that's where we come in, you know, with making that's sure awesome. that the dispensary yep, is operated the right way and those owners are not being taken advantage of and they can continue growing, scaling, and opening up more dispensaries. So is Indica online... Are you guys going to start to go show to shows again? Are you starting to do events or what do you We guys... are. Absolutely. Oh, yes. So what's coming up? What what are you guys up to? 
So currently right now, we're very excited for the um, Vegas convention that's going to be happening. We were going to go out to DC, but we are taking our time with a CanaCon. So we're going to be going to the next CanaCon that's going to be happening afterwards. Um, yes, and we're definitely looking forward to having events in Maine and Michigan on the East Coast as it's expanding as more states becoming legal. We're definitely looking forward to making our footprint on those states as well. Well, let us know when you're going to Maine. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of dispensaries there that we're doing some uh, business with. Amazing. Definitely. We'll be very excited to let <laughs> you know because we have been looking forward to going to Maine for a minute now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's a, in some level, bewildering product. What I like, you know, bewildering industry, just you've alluded to every state, every municipality, so many different rules. It's an yep. interesting uh, idea, you know, pick a product that does uh, a lot of things well, rather than 10 products that do little individual things well. Um, so I encourage you all to go to indicaonline.com to find out more. Um, as uh, unfortunately, we've kind of run out of time. So thank you very much for that. It sounds like a really uh, cool- we'll, we'll have to have her back. Yes, we will. Um, Definitely, thank you guys for having us. And it's a pleasure to give some insight on our company and how we can benefit those new operations. Our pleasure. So look out for the Indicon Line booth and maybe you'll see Elena there. Uh, on some of the upcoming events, and uh, yep. you, you take care. We'll talk soon. You too, guys. Thank you very Thank much you, for Elena. listening. Yep. Thank you, everyone who tuned in, and I'll definitely look forward to being on a show again and giving you guys more updates with what we're working on. Cool. Thanks, Alina. Thank you. Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Well, that's our show for today. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on and sharing their insights and invite you to tune in next week when, again, we'll be talking to the movers and shakers in the world of cannabis, uh, keeping you up to date with what's happening in one of the most dynamic retail industries in North America. So until next week, be well. And this has been The Business of Cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.